Please be seated. 1873, it says that was written. That was during the uh, Second Great Awakening. I re- re- referred to that last week. And you get that sense of the, the band and you could see them marching down the street, I think, in those days. One uh, particular Sunday morning, uh, little Timmy didn't want to put his money in the offering plate. And so his mother decided to uh, use some hurried and creative reasoning with him. You don't want that money, Timmy. She sort of whispered over to him. Quickly, you need to drop it in the plate. It's tainted. Horrified, the little boy put it in. The plate went by, and a few seconds later, leaned over and said, But Mom, why is the money tainted? Was it dirty? Oh, no, dear, she replied. It's not really dirty. It just taint yours, and it taint mine. It's God's. God gives us great responsibilities. And one of those is in that song, taking a stand. The gifts of God that we read about in Corinthians aren't just for ours. They're God's to use and to grow with us. They paint ours. They're God's. We need to invest to grow. And sometimes these things are referred to as talents in our modern parlance. But we need to realize that this is the kingdom of God in our life as a church. And I say that with a capital C. That's the Christian community and as a congregation, and as the people, individuals that make up God, God's people. And a few weeks back, I used the parable of the talents for my homily at the funeral for Tom Sutterby, but I only read to verse 23 in in chapter 25, and uh, there was a reason for that. I I wanted to emphasize verses 21 and 23 that say, His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things enter into the joy of your master. And this is, that's the message that I wanted to use to express Tom's life as we took a few moments to reflect on a life that was truly well lived in service to the Lord. But this morning I read down to verse 30 and I did that because I want to spend some time on a part of the parable that was omitted in that homily, the servant who didn't do quite as well as the other two. And I'm hoping that we'll together be able to see how this can apply to our lives in the long term as faithful servants of Christ. And then before we do that, though, I'd like us to just take a moment and bow our heads in prayer. Lord, it's uh, every Sunday is always kind of a a rush to get things going. And there's always, it seems, a lot to be thinking about. And each one of us can, you know, find that in our lives. And we can see by the, uh, the the lower numbers this morning too that you know there's a challenge with the cold and the snow and getting out and being concerned and we we think about folks that couldn't make it this morning for those reasons but we we really want us to just focus now on what you have for us Lord reveal to us truly what's in the scriptures and the message that contained in there to challenge our lives and we pray this in Christ's name Amen. Now, a parable of Jesus starts with a very key point. I mean, all the parables of Jesus, including this one, they weren't just off the cuff. They were well thought out. They had a distinct format and a very clear point. And this parable, as the talents, has, is not any exception to that. It starts out with a very important point that I want to try to emphasize today. In verse 14, a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one. And here's the important part. To each 
according to his ability. To each according to his ability. This master, this fictional master in this parable, this story, he's a landowner, he's a boss, he's a wealthy man, clearly. And he didn't give the same thing to each servant. He knew exactly the skills and abilities of each of these three people he was entrusting an incredible amount of money to. Remember, one single talent of gold or silver wasn't just how much it weighed, which was 33 kilograms. It was a monetary value. Fifteen years' wages for a general laborer in the time. So it was not a small amount of money by any way. The story Jesus told in Matthew 20 about the vineyard workers, they were paid one day's wages, which was one denarius. You can sit there and do all kinds of math if you want to, but it gives us some sense of value here. And as I quoted in my homily at at Tom's uh, service, in 2016, the price of silver at that point was $15 per troy ounce, about 50 cents per gram, so 33 kilograms of silver um, would be silver talent would be worth about sixteen thousand five hundred dollars, but they also weighed out talents in gold, and the gold talent, the thirty-three kilograms in two thousand and sixteen, would have been worth one point four million dollars. So again, we're not talking about a small sum of money. This Jesus is making a shocking and awe point here. He gave five talents to an employee to take care of for him. So multiply that out if you want. In silver, it would have been worth $82,500 and millions if you want to go to the gold side. The second got $33,000 and the third got $16,500. And I put those numbers on it to try to give us that same sense. Think of a small operation, farming operation, and you get one of the farmhands. And my son's been working in Australia as a farmhand. And uh, there's a lot of them that do that down there, these backpackers they call them. And they just give them nothing jobs, but they're employees nonetheless. It'd be like giving one of them, here's 82500 bucks. Go do something with it until I get back. I know you can do it because I know what your abilities are. Clearly, each one of these employees, servants, slaves, whatever phrase gets put on that for the purpose of this parable, they had proven that they could do something with the responsibility of investing this money at the levels that they have been given. The master in the parable wouldn't have done so if he knew they couldn't do it. So we know that the first two doubled their money. $165,000 he came back with that first one. $66,000 the second. But the third, that's what we're going to look at. The first two did what they were instructed to do, again, according to their abilities. They invested it somehow. They did something with it. It's not specified there, but they did something with it, and they doubled the value of what they've been given. But the third servant, let's look at what it says. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent, your money, in the ground, Here you have what's yours. He didn't gain anything, but at least in the servant's mind, he didn't lose anything. I broke even. And this is really the key to the servant's response, what's going on here. The servant that buried the money 
blames his failure. You've got to read these words carefully. He blames his failure to profit on the master. Fear of his master's ruthless craving for profit motivates this servant to hide the money. I knew you were a harsh man, so I went and hid your money in the ground. It's your fault. You weren't, if you weren't so hard as a taskmaster giving me this big responsibility, I might have done something more with this money. It's your fault for making me afraid, but at least you didn't lose anything. Here's your money back. It's safe and sound and secure. And that's really kind of some of the point of this particular parable for the third servant. It isn't that he's just simply afraid of an evil taskmaster. It's that he wants to blame the master for creating a hostile situation. It's not my fault. It's yours. I could have done something, but you know who you are. Daniel in our Old Testament lesson today probably could have done something similar if he wanted to. King Darius put Daniel in a very dangerous situation. Well, King Darius' regents really conspired to put Daniel in that dangerous situation. But Daniel stood fast in his faith and used this situation to prove that his God was greater than any person or situation. As we read, King Darius called out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? My God sent his angel who closed the mouth of the lions so they wouldn't hurt me. And I've been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I've done nothing to harm you. So he went the other way. He was more like those first two. You know, there's another story about passing blame in the story, one of the stories about Moses and Aaron. And you might remember this as they talk about, if I refer to it rather, as the golden calf. Something that we've all learned about in Sunday school, we've seen on film and all that sort of stuff. They built the golden calf. And you need to read that story closely to see the connection that I'm making here. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses has gone up to the mountain to speak with God. But he's gone a really, really long time. And the people, the Israelites, they're getting a bit grumpy. And then they start to complain to Aaron. Because Aaron's Moses' right-hand man. He's been left in charge. And they're complaining and claiming that Moses has truly abandoned us. Took, taken us from Egypt, put us out here in the desert, and walked away. So, you know, we want to return to worshiping our old gods. So Aaron got them to gather up any and all gold and silver and jewels, melt everything down, and make this golden calf. And there's been some artistic renditions of this paintings made. I mean, it's this giant figurine of this cow, basically, and they were dancing around. And it says, you know, they were dancing. A party begins almost. There was so much noise that when Moses was returning, Joshua said to Moses, it sounds like there's a war taking place in the camp. There was loads of carrying on as you read that. Moses saw the calf and, quote, the people dancing. Good Presbyterian background there, no dancing, but they were partying about. And then he asked Aaron, who was supposed to be in charge, what happened? Aaron's response is almost exactly in that sense the same as our third servant in Jesus' parable. He says, Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to, to evil. He's already pointing the finger at them. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has gold, any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. And I'm reading right from Scripture. So Aaron is saying, 
It wasn't me. It was them. They, made, they kind of made me do it. I, I didn't want to do this. I know it's a horrible thing. And Moses got quite angry. In fact, Moses got so angry, 3,000 people died that day. That's an Old Testament story for you. That third servant again. I knew you were a harsh man, so I went and hid your money. I hid it in the ground. It's your fault. If you weren't so hard, such a hard taskmaster and giving me this huge responsibility, I might have done something more. I could have done something more with this money. It's your fault for making me afraid, but at least you didn't lose anything, so here's your money back. And here's the lesson for us. All too often, I believe, in our lives, we find ourselves in situations where, again, not always, but often, we want to blame or find fault in someone or something else. And it's a a pandemic kind of condition that goes across the Christian church today, I believe. All too often we want to explain the lack in our faith or the hard times we sometimes face in our spiritual journey or the emptiness that we maybe encounter in our souls on our Master, our God, or other things. We don't, we can't, we won't often take the responsibility given to us according to our own abilities, each one of us, and move forward. We say things or we hear things being said like, it's the church's fault that I can't be happy spiritually speaking because, well, that church over there isn't really doing what I want. That congregation, it's stifling. I can't grow spiritually. It's their fault that I'm not growing. That ladies' group just puts me off. I'm not going to go anymore. That men's breakfast group, it's pretty cliquey. I, I, I can't be a part of that. I'm going to complain and grumble, and eventually I'm going to leave. I mean, all of us have been going to church for quite a long time. I'm sure we've heard all the different stories. Over the years, maybe the decades, we've heard why people won't come to church. We've heard why they leave. Well, often we don't even hear why they leave. They just stop coming. They stop engaging with a particular congregation, and that's it's a bigger picture than just that, because they stopped engaging in their, I'll put this word on it, religious experience as well their spiritual life. And when that happens, it's not me, it's them. The third servant and Aaron. But that's also why Daniel is such a great example for us today. Daniel continued in his faith, expressed in his continuing prayers, despite what he knew would happen to him. He didn't give up even though he easily could have because he had a good excuse. I'm not allowed to. They made me stop praying, so I stopped. But he didn't blame others. He carried on. And that's why we sang that song, too, and it's a great chorus. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. If we take on the responsibility, as Paul indicates in Corinthians, for the spiritual matters in our life, no matter what the cost, and stop blaming, stop pointing, and just get at it, we will grow and be spiritually satisfied. And that's why the parable of the talent teaches us, as it says in verse 29, for all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. And that's not talking about physical wealth or physical health. It's not talking about bags of money. It's talking about, because Jesus says it right at the beginning, 
about the kingdom of God. It's about our spiritual life, our spiritual growth, and our spiritual well-being. And as I said, Jesus tells three parables in, in chapter 25, but he starts the whole thing off at the very top by saying, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And then all three parables, these stories, these lessons, have everything to do with that topic. And what we need to really get our heads around is that the kingdom of heaven is not something that's just going to happen one day, because that's what we tend to think of. The second coming is a topic that gets put on that. But the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about endlessly through the Gospels, it's talking about our spiritual life right now. So the kingdom of heaven on earth right now, here's three parables for you. And the second one is this growth, sense of growth, and taking on the responsibility to do so and not burying it off because it's somebody else's fault that I can't do this. God has given each of us spiritual gift or talent, we could use that word again, according to each of our own abilities. And Paul talks about this in his letter to Corinth. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. These gifts, these talents, these spiritual matters that we all have and we deal with are for our own spiritual development, true enough. But as it says, they're given according to our own individual abilities, but ultimately they're for the common good, as Paul says, for the people of God. As each of us individually develops and grows spiritually, we all grow. And we are connected, whether we like it or not, by the Spirit of God in that way. If we're not growing individually, we're not growing corporately. And if we are growing individually, we are growing corporately. We, the church with a capital C, the Christian community, seem to be extremely concerned for good reason about future growth. We're concerned with the future of our corporate faith, if you like. Is our congregation, is Christianity going to be around much longer? We want answers, or we want the answer that's going to unlock the future for the church. We want to double our talent, just like those first two servants. But often we tend to kind of bury it. How do we bury that, metaphorically speaking? Well, we can say things like, you know, I, I tried that once and it didn't work. We, we went down that road once before and it didn't work. Look at those people over there. They got 500 people coming to their church. Now there's 1,000 coming to their church. Uh, I, I, we can't do that. We're, you know, we're going to sit here because we can't do what they're doing. And, and nor should we because they've been given according to their t- abilities as much as we have. But blame comes into place here. Finger pointing comes into place here. It's easy to say it's not me. Again, the truth is in this gospel message. For the church to survive, 
for any congregation to survive and to grow, we need to be investing in our spiritual lives actively on a daily basis. When we grow, as I said, the congregation grows both metaphorically and physically, spiritually or actually. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Then the one who received five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed me over to me five talents. See, I've made five more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But it only happens if we take the responsibility for our own spiritual growth. Because if we do not, if we blame others or situations or come up with some excuse and bury it, verse 29 comes into play. For all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Jesus wants us to grow. Jesus wants you and I to prosper spiritually speaking. Jesus wants us to invest our talent actively and right now. So the challenge for this week, for all of us, myself included, find one thing that you can do differently to add to your spiritual life. It, it could be taking a specific time to, of one day, I'm going to pray now. I'm going to take the next 15 minutes and shut off the computer and shut off the TV and be sitting quiet and I'm going, to, I'm going to pray and do it. It might be to do the same thing, but read a, read a chapter out of the Bible. I'm not committing to every day. I'm going to just do it once. Start the ball rolling. Read a chapter in the Bible. Reach out and encourage someone in their faith, maybe. Now, those three examples I've given, you might be doing some of that stuff already. So then you've got to find something else new. Find a book, a different book to read. Find a different something. There's lots on the Internet you can listen to. Find something to challenge yourself spiritually so that you can grow and invest, just as this that parable is talking about, investing in your soul, investing in your spiritual growth. And I know that we'll discover the words of Jesus to encourage our heart, just as it says in that parable, well done, good and trustworthy servant. And remember the little song we sang, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. And dare to make it known. Amen. God is a generous giver of gifts that flow to us like a river from the fountain of life. We now bring our offerings and tributes with thanks and praise for the gifts we give are the gifts of God in our lives. Amen.